All right. Welcome back. Thank you for coming. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to let our uh, special guest, Mr. Robert Jashonik, I probably butchered that, didn't I? It's close enough, man. Close enough, Jashonik. All right. So Thank I'm going to let you introduce yourself to people who might not know who you are. Thanks. And thanks for having me, by the way. I'm really happy to be here as a guest on your podcast. It's very cool. Well, I know when uh, Terry Mixon started putting a bug up my ear that I should look you up. And then you reached out the same day. I'm like, it's like fates have aligned. I didn't know that happened that way. Okay. Yeah, uh, you were on their show, the Dead Robot Society. And I'm, I'm like super fat. I listen to that all the time. Oh, so. okay. 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 I didn't know he put a, a bug in your ear. That's very cool. Thanks. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> He's good like that. So yeah, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a science fiction fantasy uh, mystery author, and uh, I've been at it for quite a while. I've uh, I've had quite a few things published over the years, including uh, some official Star Trek fiction and Doctor Who fiction. I've also written for DC Comics. I've had uh, Batman comics published uh, by DC and uh, Justice Society, and uh, I've written a bunch of novels as well, uh, including some uh, some young adult urban fantasy and some straight up science fiction, some military science fiction. I've written for the BattleTech universe, official BattleTech fiction, and uh, and also my own science fiction that I indie publish. Most recently, the Starbarian Saga, which is what this is all about here today. So the Starbarians was, uh, when I saw those covers, I knew I would have invited you even if you hadn't reached out and Terry hadn't said anything, which you'll get to see, dear listener, when we get to that part of the interview. Mm -hmm. But uh, is there any chance this is going to be a graphic novel or comic as well, since you've got experience in those venues? I would love to do that down the line. That's a great idea. I, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't thought that far ahead, JR. <laughs> I'm still Fair enough. Fair enough. putting them out. But yeah, the novels have been so much fun to write. And um, I've got you know two done and the third's in the works and I'm planning at least six. So, um, but that's a really cool idea. I think it's a, it's a perfect fit. It is. And, and it hits all the right tropes just, just on the art alone that like Conan and, and all the nostalgia for that and so the next part would normally be where I tell you, dear listener, how we first found them. But I think I kind of spilled the beans on that one. So there goes my carefully prepared joke about Witsec and a dozen IP routers to hide his identity. And oh, well, maybe next time I'll use that joke. Um, so in the meantime, we're going to jump right to the religion question. This oh. is where we decide to right. stay. So Star Wars, mm -hmm. Star Trek or Firefly? Uh, I got to say, I love them all. OK, like how many people say that, right? I, I love them all, but Star Trek was my first and greatest. It was my first, um, but I do love them all. In fact, I just got done watching the, and without any spoilers, I just got done watching the, uh, the season, the finale of the Mandalorian season two. And I mean, Firefly is just the greatest. So, you know, can't go so wrong. Normally with it. we've been mixing it up and asking a bunch of other properties, but all the ones I would normally ask you wrote in. So I didn't think that was fair. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Battletech has been on the list before, but yeah. uh, so we tried to give ones that I didn't, you know, that I was pretty sure you hadn't actually hadn't written in as a, as a producer of content. Yeah. I've never had that problem with another author before that where, where that was an issue, but. It's right. fun to write tie-in fiction as well as your own original stuff. You know, I, I love working in other people's universes and also my own. So I've actually done that almost exclusively. So I've written in Tim Taylor's Human Legion universe 
And then in the Galaxy's Edge universe, I've written my own stuff and now I'm creating an IP. And you're right. There's something about taking an idea that's already sort of flushed out and then shining lights on the dark corners and pivoting in directions they might not have planned. Like, obviously, you want to be respectful for the original canon. Yeah. But still to sort of see what, you know, the constraints can do to your creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's fun. I, I, I'm, I've heard other people say they hate that, that they hate writing in other people's <laughs> universe. They both have room, I think. For, for creativity. Yeah, I think both can be stimulating in their own way. And boy, Galaxy's Edge, that's a great universe to write in. Very cool, JR. Very it, cool. it was a lot of fun. So I wrote, uh, um, <laughs> Jason had done an interview where he's eating a hamburger. And he was talking <laughs> about, if you want to be Legion, you got to be thin. So then they approached me to write. And I'm like, I'll show you. I'll write a chubby reservist. <laughs> and and the, it resonated with the fans. So it was a lot of fun. And there's another uh, book two for that that's finished and with the publisher and in a novella about the Space Marines. They have um, in their universe. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah, there is definitely a danger when the IP gets so big. So when I first wrote the book, there were like six out. Mm-hmm. By the time I started writing the second novel and the novella, which all tied in together, yeah. there were almost 30. And the more it gets, the more daunting it can be to stay within yeah. canon. So I definitely think if you're going to write in someone else's IP, get in early. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, you, can, you can help shape it rather than like pick up the pieces 100 years later. <laughs> Boy, that's tough when you come into something after like there have been a um, uh, uh, hundred thousand books put out, and you have to sort of make sure you don't conflict with any of those. Now you've you've had that that issue because you've written in some massive properties like BattleTech has has a lot of lore. I've seen yeah. it. Now, when you wrote for them, was that all established yet? Wow. Uh, yeah, a lot of it. So I had to do a lot of uh, a lot of studying up. That's for sure. They sent me some documentation. You know, they because they have guidebooks and everything. Of course, you know from the from the gaming. Um, uh, the gaming history of, of Battletech, the Battletech universe. And I had read some books in the series, of course, and some stories as well, some anthology projects. Uh, but yeah, I had to do some real, real deep research on that. And, and, and it's, it's daunting. It is. But it's fun because like you said, then you can sort of come up with your own twist on it. And as long as it's not too completely whacked out and too far outside the bounds of their of their creation, you know, you can make it happen and, and people remember that. They, they love that kind of thing. I will say, I, t- I went to uh, RavenCon in 2015 when I was writing my very first novel before it was even published. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, in Williamsburg that year. Yeah. And there was an author there that's written for Star Trek, Star Wars, and Warhammer 40K, among other, you know, properties, including his own. And wow. he's, he's told me that of every property he's ever looked at writing or, and has written, the Warhammer fans are the worst because they get the most <laughs> fanatical about like, no, that, that ballistic was a half a degree off. And so it would have done like they go, like they're hardcore about it. And because like it's a tabletop war game the way it is, like they've got the math down. Like psh, they know that. Like, no, no, no. It travels X feet per second. It would hit this ballistic arc. Like, they've got that stuff to a side. I don't know that I would be brave enough to try that IP, but most others I'd probably, I'd probably try just for the fun of it. Yeah. Well, that would take some dedication there, I'll tell you, or a a vast reservoir of existing knowledge, I think, and love for the property. Yeah, that's one of the things I found. The trick is, is you really have to like the universe you're writing in. So like the the way I got the first contracts, for instance, with with Tim Taylor, I was just a fan reading his books and I would send him all these notes. What about this? You left this hanging. Like, you should tell me these stories. And finally, I guess he had enough. And he's like, JR, you write the dang thing and leave me alone. And I got a contract (laughs) out of it. But 
don't harass people. It's probably not the best way to start a business if you're listening to your leader. But it doesn't um, always work. <laughs> it doesn't always work. Sometimes you get restraining orders and courts. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I definitely think loving the property you're writing in is yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's nothing quite so good. I mean, like making your own original thing, you know, afresh out of out of the ether, right, is incredible as well. But there's almost nothing that's quite as wonderful as getting to write for something that you've loved all your life for, or at least for a very long time. And then you get to be a part of it, you know, finally. And it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. That's definitely like a dream come true when you get those moments. Yeah. So, because we're polytheistic, we can't let you get out without one more of the religion questions. So, oh, okay. Great. Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings or the Percy mm-hmm. Jackson series. Well, that one's uh, less of a challenge for me to, uh, to, to comment on. I have to say Lord of the Rings for sure. Tolkien. Absolutely. Have you read the other ones? He's the man. He's the man. I've read some Narnia. I have not read any Percy Jackson. I'm familiar with the series. I know the basic gist of it. I've seen a little on, you know, on the screen. Um, and uh, I'm sure it's great. But, you know, I I know Tolkien. And I mean, it, he's just he's just one of the in, most incredible influences on my work and on the genre and on filmmaking and everything else. So, yeah, I love okay. it. So uh, because we love both the fantastical and the scientific blasters and blades, what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi. Absolutely. Do you remember what uh, the first property that caught you was? Yeah, it's, it's going to sound repetitive here, but uh, yeah, Star Trek is what did it. But, but interestingly, it was uh, Star Trek um, fiction, Star Trek, um, the, the written word rather than the TV show, because I'm a little older, so like back when I was growing up, we didn't have these fancy things that would record and play back a video, like a video <laughs> recorder or DVR or any of them fancy things. You know, all we had was the TV and like three channels, <laughs> and you know, you couldn't you couldn't watch Star Trek just whenever you felt like it. And when I was a kid, Star Trek had already come and gone in terms of you know um, its original broadcast. It was in syndication. But I didn't always get to see it for various reasons. So anyway, I fell in love with the uh, the novelizations first, and that's what grabbed me. I, I just I love the characters, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Scott, all of them, and uh, that's what grabbed me. And and then I expanded out from there. So uh, I mean, it was like the key to the door that I'm you know that that opened wide into the vast universe of sci-fi and Asimov and Heinlein and oh, You're everybody. Definitely selling it with the card catalog behind you. <laughs> right. I, I remember that. I, I don't think kids learn the Dewey Decimal System anymore. <laughs> that was the bane of my elementary school, having to learn how to use that thing. Oh man, so. it, it's it's crazy. It's cra- It's a real yeah mis- mystery. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's back then. I, I know it's hard to believe for for people growing up now, but we we had none of that. It's like you took what you got. You know, if Star Trek was on at four o'clock, and and you weren't there at four o'clock. You didn't get to see it. Yep. <laughs> the uh, so, what is it about speculative mm-hmm. fiction as a genre? So, sci-fi, fantasy, all of that umbrella stuff. What is it about that that you love? I just I love the possibilities, right? Um, of of that kind of fiction, the possibilities for the future and for humanity. So, when you say spec speculative fiction, spec fic, I mean I'm I'm encompassing not just sci-fi but also fantasy and all the little subgenres that come with both. Um, and I love the possibilities that are suggested by those different uh, genres and subgenres because it tells us that we can be more than we are. We can do better than we have. 
if we can just imagine it, you know? And I know this might sound a little hackneyed, but it's true. That's what I love the most, that, that you know, that we can think, that we can imagine, that we can dare to do better, right? Because, man, if this is it, <laughs> if this is all the better we're going to do, it's kind of crappy. <laughs> I mean, it's so much more. There's yeah. so many more possibilities. And that's what I love. I mean, and at the heart of it. And plus, I love blasters and blades and stuff. I mean, you know, yeah. pew, pew and <laughs> swish and slash and, you and know, the excitement. The best parts of it is you can also, like, one, I don't tend to like message fiction. If I wanted to be preached out, I'd be at a church. Right. But that's not to say you can't have deeper themes and messages in fiction. It's just you can't be heavy handed with it. Like, you have to be fair right. to the belief in the moment of the story, right? Yes. And that's the case. You can explore a lot of ideas that are ahead of their time even. I mean, yeah. the timeline was the first one, I think, to write a Filipino character or write uh, an Asian-American protagonist. Yeah. Uh, when he wrote the um, Starship Troopers, was it back in the 60s? I think? Oh, yeah. That was a uh, long time ago. What a prescient book. <laughs> Star Trek did it with the uh, the half black face, half white face aliens when they were talking about discrimination and how ridiculous mm -hmm. it is. I mean, like there's lots of historic properties before everyone decided to, to wear their politics on the sleeves that yeah. could address deeper issues and just think about them in ways that were both, you know, enlightening, but without being in your face. So you feel like you got your back against the wall. So you could just think about them rationally and you and use that logic part of your brain instead of engaging raw emotion. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you back anyone into a corner and you tell them they're wrong or they're bad, mm -hmm. predictable results. But when you can talk things <laughs> out and be cold, calm and rational, yeah, it's amazing what you can do. And you can do that through fiction in ways that you can't uh, in sci-fi and fantasy and, and the detached from modern uh, modernia fiction in ways you couldn't say with a political thriller. Yep. Yep. Oh, JR, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. It's got to be buried a layer or two or three under the surface. And it's got to be secondary to the excitement and the story, right? The plot. And, and all of that, of course, is tertiary <laughs> to the to the character development, right? That's got to be forced front and 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 center, not forced. <laughs> First and foremost, front and center, characterization and setting, and and then the story and the excitement and the action, and then under that, right? It, but it's still has to be there enough that that you can get the point across without clubbing somebody over the head. Yeah, and I think most of it we do probably subconsciously, both as readers and writers, mm -hmm. um, because like nobody goes around well. Most people don't go around thinking about those things on a day-to-day, -day, you know, minute-to-minute -minute basis. So yeah. it's just sort of one of the ways authors show who they are through their writing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you could do that, I think, is what makes it great. So Absolutely. How, did your, how did your love of speculative fiction transition into you writing stories in that field? Well, I have always loved to write, okay? I mean, I know people say that all the time, but it's true. Ever since I was a little tiny, tiny kid, <laughs> I, I loved to write. Uh, and and I and I have the I have the uh, the old um, uh, mimeographed uh, handwritten um, little magazines to prove it. <laughs> I made when I was I don't know eight or nine years old, maybe younger than that. And so I would write my own stories. And back then it was more of a mix. You know, I wasn't a hundred percent into science fiction. I guess I was into comic books maybe before sci-fi. And so you know I'd write stories about comic book characters and then TV shows that I love to sort of tie in like fanfic. It was fanfic, man. So that's really what led me uh, into that direction. So anyway, all my life I've loved to write and, and I sort of got away from trying to, you know, 
trying to do it in, in, a, in, in not a professional way, but a, a higher level way until later, right? Maybe in my 20s, 30s, I started to really start to push it and to try to uh, rise above the basic level that I had attained. And I found out about a little contest uh, It was called Strange New Worlds. And it was a Star Trek fiction writing contest sponsored by Pocket Books. Back then it was Pocket Books. Now I think it's a gallery. And I wrote a story, sent it in. It was called Whatever You Do, Don't Read This Story. And it was, uh, it was a tie-in story, but it broke a lot of rules. And, and it, it placed in the contest. And then that really set me down the, the path, I have to say. That's what just fired me up. And ever since then, I've been writing like a, like a madman. <laughs> okay. So when you talked about you did comic books now are you also a um, an artist like do you draw or is it just you know sketches and then at some point in time you'd like yeah, so yeah. The, the comics you didn't draw when you when you produce them no no i don't do that no i i but yeah thumbnails or whatever to try to get the point across if i'm trying to convey a layout um but typically i, I generate them you know uh in, in script form and then send a script off to an artist and yeah, just like just like doing a you know a screenplay or or a play or whatever, and uh, it, it's it's a whole different uh, animal, and it's a lot of fun, you know, uh, trying to bring in that visual component and trying to picture it as if you're you know m making a movie or or whatever, and trying to envision what the angles are going to look like and how the juxtaposition of elements is going to work. It's great. I love it. It's it's always amazing when you get artists of various mediums together in one mm -hmm. room everyone's always sort of impressed with the other person's art. Like, man, you could draw a picture. I wish I could draw. I draw stick figures. And they never sort of realize they're all doing like various forms of art. Like, oh, I just paint a picture with words. But man, you're actually creating art you hang on a wall. And they sort of, I've noticed they all have that reaction about the other style of art. So it <laughs> amazes me when you meet people that can do sort of more than one. Like we've interviewed yeah. some some authors that actually drew comics back in the day. Oh, like wow. Published ones, And it's just, I wish I had that level of skill. <laughs> I yeah. never really had stick figures. Oh, it's 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 a whole yeah, it's a whole other discipline, and and it's it's so wonderful when you find someone who's really uh, accomplished in that field and is also responsive to your suggestions and can bring your work to life on the page. It, there's it's really a wonderful thing. So uh, many authors let their own real life experience as sort of influences the story they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments for you that shaped you as a storyteller? Wow, that is that is a great question. Um, I mean, any uh, as you said, any any creator is sort of the sum total of all their experience, like sort of pulled together uh, into one and and channeled into their work. Um, I've had a lot of experiences um, growing up. I think that, that, that fed, that fed my writing and, and the things I write about and how I, how I write about them. Um, for example, uh, uh being bullied at a, at a young age, um, was not a wonderful experience for me. And, and so I tend to, um, write about that in different ways in my work. I tend to write about, uh, what it's like to be the underdog. I tend to see things from the underdog's point of view and uh, to, to try to write about the fact that might does not always make right. And sometimes other solutions are the best um, for all parties involved, even though it might not always seem like it, uh, though might has its place and you need to stand up to the bullies of the world and of the universe. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's something that has informed my work, yeah. 
All right. Well, let's transition from the writing side a little bit and, and letting the audience get to know you. And let's talk about more yeah. from the fan angle. So has anyone ever asked for your autograph out in public away from, um, you know, book signing or conventions? Yeah, I, you know, JR, I, I write um, a lot of different genres. And one of them that I've had a lot of success with is local nonfiction and fiction. So what I mean by local is um, I live in a place called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It's a small town. It's about two hours east of Pittsburgh. And we have um, had a rich history um, in many ways. Steve Ditko, the famous comic book writer and artist, is from our town, actually. Okay. If you've heard of Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or any of that, those characters. Um, anyway, I, I've sort of um, done really well writing books about local history, in particular local um, department stores that are now gone in the mists of history. And they've done really well because a lot of people just love these stores. And so anyway, um, I've gotten a lot of uh, people come up to me um, on the street here in my town where I still live and ask for my autograph. They'll bring a, a book or they'll just bring a piece of paper up and say, hey, could you sign this? And, and it's, it's always a really cool experience um, when, when people just ask you spontaneously for that because you're not expecting it. You know, I don't go waltzing around thinking I'm, you know, Mr. Great Writer and people are just dying for my signature. But. Yeah, sometimes they'll ask me, and I always love it. And I always keep in mind that they are what matters the most in any creative equation. The reader, the reader is what it's all about. Absolutely. So, have you ever spotted uh, anyone out in the wilds reading your books? Yes, I have. And and again, it, the the local fiction and nonfiction stuff, the books about these local department stores and shopping centers. Um, I'll see people reading them in doctors' offices or in you know it in line at a bank or in the park or whatever i've seen them around and it, it's it's very cool it's a great feeling okay so finally what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started writing and obviously this is a family-friendly show <laughs> well see right there you're, you're forcing me to like move a lot of stories off the table there jr <laughs> uh, I, I had some really good ones in mind but i'm gonna have to deny your your your, your listeners that that experience but yeah, there's kind of a funny story. Um, again, it has to do with the local the local work. Uh, I, I had a book. It's called Long Live Glossers. And it's about the Glosser Brothers department store in my, in my hometown. And at the time, I was working a day job, right, in a, in a building downtown, in downtown Johnstown. And at lunchtime, if someone would you know, contact me and say, hey, I'd like to buy some of your books, I'd go down to the parking garage. I'd get some books out of my car, and I would pass them over and they would pay me for the books, right? Uh, and I didn't want to be too obvious about this. I didn't want it to, you know, I didn't want to put it in my boss's face. Uh, not that there was anything wrong with what I was doing, but you know, better to sort of keep that on the QT, as we say. So anyway, I was doing this over a long period of time. I would hand these books off and people would give me money and sometimes I'd sign them for them right there. And it was, it was a really cool thing. Anyway, um, eventually we, our company decided to move out of that building and uh, move somewhere else. And in the process, I was talking to the people who managed the building and they, they said to me, you know, there's something we've been meaning to ask you, <laughs> Bob. We kept seeing you making these deals on the security camera in the parking garage. And all this time, we thought you were making, we wondered what you were dealing, what were you selling there out of your car? And I said, oh, it's books, my, my Glosser Brothers books. They said, we thought you were dealing drugs, man. <laughs> we were gonna turn you in. I'm like, no, no. 
that, that could have gotten you more press than your books might have sold. Yeah, that would that would have been a really interesting story, <laughs> right? And then you can write about that too. But uh, you know, you're too pretty for jail, so yeah. Oh, All thank. Right. You. <laughs> so uh, this is where we talk about everything you've written. So can you give us the wow. reader's digest version of your body of work? Wow, um, there have been a lot of things. Uh, I, again, um, I, I, I've written uh, Star Trek fiction, so you can still seek that out. I know you can get it electronically. I've written uh, some short stories and also a novella. Um, I was one of the few writers to write a story for Peter David's New Frontier universe, which was really a cool experience. And I've written some Doctor Who fiction. You can find all this on my Wikipedia page. I've got all this stuff. Uh, someone was kind enough to go in there and list all this, so it's a really handy reference tool. Um, in addition to that stuff, I've written comic books, and I've written tons of short stories that have been published by magazines, spec fic in particular, um, science fiction, fantasy magazines, and websites. I write um, short stories that are published every month by a magazine called Pulp, uh, Pulp House Fiction Magazine. I, I don't know if you've heard of that one. But it's, um, I have. It's published by Dean Wesley Smith and Chris Christine Catherine Rush, WMG Publishing. It comes out every month, and it's a really cool fantasy magazine. I'm sorry, fiction magazine. They have um, science fiction, fantasy, crime stories, regular literary fiction, but it's always twisty and oddball and offbeat, and, and I love writing that kind of stuff. And they've been um, uh, publishing a story of mine in each issue so far for the for the lifetime of the new iteration of the magazine, which is a couple of years old now. They had an earlier version as well. So um, readers can find my stories there. They can find them in um, a magazine called Galaxy's Edge, not to be confused with the Galaxy's Edge series. And also my fiction, um, which my original fiction, which I publish myself, uh, comes out through uh, my, my publishing company, which is called uh, Pie Press Publishing. The, the specific in, imprint is Blast Off Books. And uh, you can find my collections of fiction, including Blast Off and In a Green Dress, Surrounded by Exploding Clowns. That's a collection of my fiction. You can find a, um, I have a series called the Battle Knot Science Fiction Series, which is very cool. I, your, your listeners might be into that one. It's sort of like Battletech, but not quite. It's uh, very much military science fiction. Uh, a little bit less of the battlesuit armor stuff and a little bit more military fiction, space marine stuff. Um, and I, I'm working on a series also, which is uh, sort of a takeoff on Star Trek. And there's uh, a novel out there called Sticks and Stones, which is also published by Blast Off Books, Pie Press. You can also find my audiobook fiction on um, audible.com and Apple um, iTunes or whatever that's called now, Apple Music. And Amazon, you just go and search for my name, and you'll find loads and loads of stuff. I will um, link to the uh, I'll link to the Wikipedia in the um, show notes. I just added that real quick. Okay. Um, okay. So I got to ask real quick. Yeah. Why pie press? Are you like a huge pie person? Like you like pie, <laughs> pizza, pie, something like that, or? I don't know. I thought it sounded cool at the time. Pie press publishing, and and I I don't know. I just thought it was sort of a play on words because there is a thing called a pie press. And, um, you know, and I thought people might wonder, well, is this pi as in the um, mathematical concept pi? Or is this pi as in the pi you eat? And it seems like it would be more natural to expect pi as in the concept than the food. But anyway, that's sort of the, orig the origin of that. And Blastoff, of course, that's obvious. Well, 
because I'm on a diet and, and it's working, but because of that now, yeah. I food all the time. So, <laughs> so ah. you said pie and I'm like, mm, apple pie sounds good. I've but been dieting. Really cool if you're like, yeah, I totally love apple pies. <laughs> so while all of that sounds fascinating and yeah. the link, like I said, will be linked in the show notes, dear listeners, so you can check it all mm-hmm. out. And uh, we'll be pulling out uh, Chris and Catherine Rush's episode from the archives. We interviewed her when we were still the sci-fi shenanigans. Um, um, she's a, she's a nice lady. Yeah. Uh, while all those sounds fascinating today, we are here to talk about Horde's challenge, which is the first book in the Starbarian saga. So okay. where did you get the premise for this universe? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, overindulging in those expired pies? <laughs> I was lying in the New Mexico desert one night, staring up at the starry sky, and a beam struck me from above, from a glittering light. And no, I, I, it just sort of came to me. I was trying to think of a cool idea for a science fiction series, and and I don't know, these ideas just sort of merged together in my mind. Conan the Barbarian meets Star Wars. And I thought, you know, that's something I haven't seen recently, though there have been other series, other books and stories in that same subgenre, right? Barbarian sci-fi. But I thought, you know, that's something I haven't seen for a while. And I would really love to write something in in that direction, in that vein. And so I started just thinking about it and, and, and also thinking about, you know, our modern world and where we are headed, maybe if you wanted to go in an in a cynical direction. And, and so this book sort of posits what would happen if we keep going down that darker path and things sort of come apart, like our veneer of civilization falls away and we're sort of we're transformed back into a barbaric society, right? And so that's sort of the premise. That's sort of where it came from. I think the only other person I've seen recently do Conan meets sci-fi was uh, nick cole did a, mm. a novella in his i think it was the red rocket press anthology i think was the name something weird oh. like that if you look up nick cole's um bibliography over on amazon you'll find it but uh he had conan where conan was actually a cyborg so <laughs> and that was you know he's a warbot that went a little loopy which explained yeah. all the behaviors which was a lot of fun yeah, um, yeah. I've been pestering him to uh, to to go back to that and write a series, but he keeps talking about bills needing to be paid, and uh, <laughs> it's funny how that that need to eat as we keep coming back to affects our decisions as artists. <laughs> oh, it sure does. It sure does. Sometimes in a great way. I mean, that helps to spur you onward. <laughs> it, it does. It does. It you know when you're hungry, you're you're sometimes at your best. Yeah. Uh, hungry meaning thirsty for 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 the for the income. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. The first two books in the series are actually currently in a Kickstarter. I have it scrolling at the bottom of the screen, dear listeners. If you search Kickstarter for Starbarian Saga, you'll find it. Uh, we don't normally talk about craft on the show. Um, uh-huh. This is very audience, reader, consumer focused. Yeah. But you've decided to take this through the Kickstarter route, which is yeah. instead of just publishing the, quote, normal indie way. So what yeah. made you decide to go that route? Why not, man? I, I think it's a great way to go. If, if, you, if you can afford to do it that way. And by that, I mean, if, as you say, you're not starving, right? You're not super hungry and you got to get that work out there. Like if your immediate funding is not reliant on that book paying off as much as possible in the immediate moment, then why not? You know, why not put it out first? I, I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I think it fits well into a, a standard indie publishing plan. Again, if you can sort of time it right, okay? Why not take advantage of some of these opportunities? Why not um, put it out there as a Kickstarter 
and get some money that way, right? And also have the readers help you to fund um, your artwork, some of the development work that went into that book, and also help them, you know, have them help you to fund the paperback and the hardcover editions. I think it's a natural fit. You put that in right near the beginning after you finish the book or books, and then, you know, you get that done, you move it aside, and then once you've um, sent out all the rewards, once you've fulfilled all the rewards for the Kickstarter, made all your backers really happy, because that's what it's all about as well, and that's one of the big fun pieces of Kickstarters, or crowdfunding in general. Once you've done that, then get it out there, send it straight to KU, start, you know, start the money machine working there. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a really good fit. I, I don't think everybody's doing it that way. Some are, but not everybody. I think you have Markin. I'm probably butchering his name, and if he's listening, I apologize. It's a uh, he's uh, one of the other veterans we've interviewed. He's an Israeli um, army veteran. Okay. We've interviewed him before, but I know he does his that way as well. Yeah, but um, I, I think so, why not? unless you can't afford, it, unless you can't wait, right? Unless it's like your schedule is set up so tight and your money schedule is so tight, your budget has got to be met. You got to I got to get it in KU now, man. <laughs> like everything's got to so, go through right away. It's pretty obvious what what it does for you. It allows you to potentially fund better art than what you could afford yeah. because you're going to have the backers. Um, but what does somebody that's backing you on a Kickstarter, aside from you know supporting the the artists they love to keep them in business, which yeah. has value, like the Patreon patronage model of the of the Greeks and the Romans, mm -hmm. what do they get? So why should they buy? And we're speaking specifically about this project. Why should they go to the Kickstarter and back it that way rather than waiting for it to be on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever? What do they get different? Well, there are things you can only get through the Kickstarter. There are specifically um, goodies, like, and I'm going to run through some of these here first. You can get a sticker set. You can get special button set, right? Pins that you can put on your shirt or your hat or whatever. Uh, you can get air fresheners with that great Tom Edwards artwork. Uh, okay. you it's just cool things that, you know, you could not get otherwise and things that really it's not in the author's benefit to do um, in, in, in uh, when, when the book is for sale on Amazon. Right. So it's just cool things that only come with the, with the crowdfunding thing. And the coolest thing of all, I think, right, personally, is you can get a cameo role in one of the books. And this is I always come back to this. Right. Because it excites me the most. I think back to young Bob <laughs> when I was first starting out and reading, you know, science fiction voraciously, by the way, I couldn't get enough of it. And um, I was so excited and I can only imagine this was not a possibility back then, or if it was, it wasn't a possibility for me. I'm sure if you were the friend, a very good friend of an author, you could, you could make this happen, but I couldn't get a role in my favorite author's book back then in the seventies or eighties or nineties. Right. And now you can through my Kickstarter or other Kickstarters. That's a pretty common thing. They call it Tuckerization, right? That's the term for it. But if you back the Kickstarter at a certain level, then I will add you to a book, not just like listing you in the back of the book in an, in an, in a, uh, uh, um, an honor roll, right? Or a hall of fame for backing, for supporting the project, but also for being, um, you know, just a backer at that level. I'll get you in there. And sometimes it can be really fun. I have, a friend of mine, Michael W. Lucas, who has who has backed other projects uh, of mine, and he likes to have himself killed off <laughs> in books. We killed him off in my last Kickstarter, which was for a, an anthology called Space 1975. 
And that's a lot of fun too. I mean, it's just, it's kind of something unique to do. So there are a lot of different ways. Like if, if somebody wanted to back the project and they said, I really want to be killed off in a unique way. I mean, I would do that for them. <laughs> so, but I just love that. Those cameo rules are really what get me the most. I'm like, what would I love most as a kid or a reader, an earlier reader? And that's, I just love that. So that's something you can get with this Kickstarter plan if you back it at the uh, $80 uh, or more level. And so if you're listening and your kids are, are new readers and you think they'd like this, you could pay and have them killed off, which, you know, every parent has had those frustrating moments. And then the kids think you did something nice for them. So win-win. Um, I can say, I mean, these books, there's some violence, right? I'm not going to lie. But they're not really, they're not, I don't know if I'd say they're R-rated. I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say that. So yeah, it would work. So does this allow you, and I'm just thinking real quick yeah. with the business hat, yeah. audio books are hit or miss. It's about, you know, 100 to $200 per finished hour. Mm -hmm. uh, for production costs. Uh, maybe you make your money back. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Um, there's, you got to trust the, the companies in the back end, to be honest with the reporting is as much as I can say, I don't want to piss the overlords off. Mm -hmm. uh, this <laughs> sounds like it would give you a way to potentially fund a, uh, an audiobook as well. So is that one of yeah. your Kickstarter um, benefits? Not this time because it's such a big piece and I wanted to save that. Right. So uh, that's something I would want to do in the future as a future Kickstarter. But we're not doing that this time around. I just wanted to keep this one just for the just for the paperback and the hardback editions and and to get those to get those complete. And then also to expand them, if possible, you know, some of our stretch goals um, are for me to um, expand those two books by a couple thousand words. So I wanted to do that first. And so, so there's a danger, I guess, of being too scattered. I think, I think, I think it helps if you focus in your your um, your fundraiser, right? Your campaign. I think it helps if you're very clear. You're like, this is what I want to do, and and here's why I need you, the backer, and here's what you get if you help me out with this with this project, and and it will be worth your while. And and so that's kind of how you have to approach it. I think you got to watch. You're right. You don't want to be too much like here's this and that and this and that. And, you know, I know in the past when I've tried building campaigns, I might have gone more down that road and found that it wasn't the best approach. So the way to get him to do the audiobook sooner is to max out whatever he's got listed now, dear listener, and then he'll have no choice but to add it because he's got nothing left. That's yeah. how you do it. So just throw yeah. all your money at him. Just back your truck full of cash up and just dump it. <laughs> all right. So we've, we've hinted yeah. about this art. So before mm -hmm. we dig in and talk about the book itself, we're going to pull up this sexy, sexy cover and get us off the screen. Woo! So what can you tell us about this piece of art? Cause it is glorious. I mean, this would make me buy it for no other, other reason. Thank you. Yeah. I, Oh, it's, it's by a guy named Tom Edwards. Perhaps you've heard of him. I have. He's most known for his spaceships and spaceship ass. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's definitely, he's definitely well known in the field. He does some, he has done some amazing work over the years for lots of different authors. And I met him at uh, 20 Books to 50K in Vegas a couple of years ago. And I talked to him at length and he got real excited about this project because it wasn't like his typical project. It was more with human figures as the center, as the key of the artwork. And then also this very unique ship, which plays such a crucial role in the book. And he loved the idea of bringing it to life. And so, we had a lot of conversations and that's what we did. He, he developed 
this ship and brought it to life and brought the characters to life. And it, he just really did an incredible job. So that's giving me some real Castle Grayskull vibes going on. Ah, no, no, we can't talk about that. <laughs> it's um, so controversial. <laughs> no, no, no. It's totally not Grayskull. Totally <laughs> just, you know, whatever. Uh, no, but I, I definitely yeah. like it. The The art was what, uh, what, what drew me in. So yeah. if I had seen nothing but that, I probably would have thrown money your way. So um, Thank you. I, I, I'm real happy with it. I really am. And and he's done six covers for me, though I'm not uh, putting them all out there yet. Uh, and they're they're um, at, at least as good as, if not better than that. Uh, he so we, did a really wonderful job. You have the second book in the Kickstarter as well. We're going to talk about the first one because we want this episode to be evergreen. Yeah, man. And people can still listen to this even after the book is published and finalized a year from now. But if you're listening to it as it goes live, uh, you should definitely check out the Kickstarter for no other reason to see the second book cover, which we're going to make you go there to see. And that uh -huh. link will be in the show notes. But uh, let's move on now to the story itself. Yeah. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this novel be? Okay, a 30-second elevator pitch. And go. <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic post future, a devastated Earth uh, is in search of salvation um, in a time when mankind has devolved into a barbarian into a barbarian society, uh, high tech remains and is in hiding. But they have to the high the purveyors of the high technology weaponry of the future come out of hiding and they enlist these barbarians, these hordes of Earth, to help stave off this terrible threat, uh, which is um, conquering the galaxy and coming ever closer. To humanity, to, to Earth, and to wiping out humanity once and for all. Sign me up. Uh, so, Wait. what makes your series special? I think the unique combination of high-powered barbarian action, for one thing, um, combined with uh, ultra-high-tech sci-fi uh, trappings, combined with a beautiful vision of the universe and some really unique characters. So when you got really excited about that for a second, yeah. I just keep wondering, how much does someone have to pay you for you to come and read this to them in that voice? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, we could we could work something out, I'm sure. Yeah. You can be bought is what you're saying for the right Yes, moment. absolutely. Yeah, I, I would love to do that, in fact. <laughs> okay. And so which science fiction or fantasy trope, because you're borrowing from both sort of fields, do you feel like Horde's Challenge fits the best or hits the best, I should say? Well, well, definitely barbarian fiction and um, space opera. It's a combination of the two. And there's also sort of a sous-son of military sci-fi, mil sci-fi, mil SF. Um, okay. Because these barbarian characters are enlisted by these high-tech guys who've been hanging out sort of in the background, sort of watching to see what's going on. And the the high-tech guys don't have the, the ability to commit violent acts anymore, so they enlist the barbarians. They bring them up on a ship. And then they're sort of forced into sort of a military hierarchy, which goes over about as well as you would expect. <laughs> okay. So now let's talk about the story itself. Since you sort of combined yeah. um, the tropes and the subgenres together, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll just accept both and move on. So okay. why don't you tell us a little bit about your main character? What makes him or her? I'm going to guess it's a him by the cover, but yeah. I don't want to assume. But what makes them unique in the crowded field of science fiction and fantasy? Well, there are two main characters. Torque Galgor and Angar Crux, and they are both 
rival horde lords, right? Each one has their own horde, their own barbarian horde on the surface of Earth. And what makes them unique is that they are um, tightly connected and yet they despise each other in every way. And they're working both, both together and against each other at all times. So I think it's kind of a unique way that I've put them together in this particular book that they're, they're sort of put into a situation where they have the opportunity to um, gain power that they could never have imagined on earth in their barbarian world. And they have to figure out what to do with it. And they both sort of help each other in certain ways, but then they are constantly at odds and they're always looking to destroy the other. So I think it's unique in that way. It would help if I unmuted. What a boomer thing to do. All right. Uh, are <laughs> that's there okay. Any... A nice dramatic pause. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it's totally dramatic pause. So were there any secondary characters that were memorable to you? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, uh, there's a crew on this ship. And, and they're all members of this group called the, uh, the Blacksmiths, right? They're the high-tech guys who've been sort of hot, hanging back and waiting. And, and, and they, they recruit. Um, the horde, the horde lords, to go out and help them fight off this terrible menace. And the members of that crew, I think, are pretty interesting. In particular, uh, the captain of the ship, the ship is called the Halcyon. That's the one that's pictured on the cover there with the skull and the horns and everything, made to look really fearsome. Uh, and the captain of the ship is uh, Captain Gage, and he's really unique. He's, he's a really snarky character, um, a real smart aleck, but very competent. Uh, and also world weary and and really desperate for help. He knows that humanity is at the end of their rope. And so he'll do just about anything and say just about anything as well. And speaking of saying just about anything, there's another character who's another member of this crew and his name is Pungi Imbroglio. And he's a member of a plant-like species, an alien species. And they are one of the many alien species who have been really beaten to hell by these bad guys out there in space and they're turning to the barbar the starbarian guys for their help as well as the human uh, blacksmiths and punji is like a real over-the-top crazy character and he's just he has the ability to distend his body and do kind of crazy things he's a ferocious warrior even though sometimes he seems like comic relief and he's maybe my favorite character other than the two lead uh, barbarian guys Okay, so what about bad guys that they have to yeah. face? So do they have any that you can tell us about without uh, spoiling? Yeah, there's a there's a there's an alien menace called the Call, spelled C-A-U-L, the Call. And they are gradually working their way through the galaxy and just wiping out one species after another and enslaving the remnants and putting them to work for themselves. Not really in a Borg-like way necessarily. It's more like a you know a domination kind of way without um, without any free will, but without the sort of cyborg kind of implant stuff. And anyway, they're just pushing their way through the galaxy, and they're gradually coming closer and closer to Earth. And and they seem to be undefeatable. And they're just and but of course the main bad guys in the book are Torque and Angar, the two barbarians. They're also the main heroes but they don't always act in a heroic way. They're, they're always working against each other and they're always trying to see if they can take over the whole shebang themselves. That's their key, their key interest is to dominate everything themselves. So yeah, they're the bad guys as well as the good guys. 
So speaking of characters, you did a lot of evil things, it sounds like, to yours. Um, so if they ever met you in a back alley, how do you yeah. see that interaction playing out? Oh, I would just, I, I, I would last maybe 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> uh, especially if they knew who I was and what I had done. No, no, actually, if they knew who I was and what I had done, the opportunities I had presented them in their story, then they might be happy and take me out for a nice, you know, cold draft of some sort of mead or something before they, they killed me. Okay. So, um, Fair enough. All right. So this would be where we let you give us a chance to sneak peek of how the sausage was made. So were there oh. any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from the final book that uh, you thought would be cool to use someday? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I really put just about everything in that I had at the time, everything that I was in love with at the time, I put into those two books. Though as time has passed, I've thought of other cool things that I would like to do with the characters in the context of those first two stories, right? Those first two adventures. So I don't want to give too much away, right? Because that's 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 where the the, the meat of the the expanded books would come in. I'm, and if I meet the stretch goals, then I will bring this into these books. Uh, but I definitely want to delve into their past a little more and show a little more clearly why they are the way they are. These two barbarian characters, and not just them. I'd also like to delve into the past of some of the crew members a little bit uh, because it's something I left out of the first two books and I think they deserve it. They're, they're really rich characters and I'd love to, to bring them up a little more and give them a little bit more um, to, to, to make them, to bring them to, to full clarity. Okay. So if you want to hear those cool stories of what he might add, make sure you share this and get you and your friends to back this project and he'll be good to go. You'll be able to get those answers. So, what yeah. can you tell us about the universe itself? So you've mentioned a little bit about the the aliens, the the coal you've mentioned, the ship, the advanced crew, and the barbarians, starbarians. But uh, what else is there about this universe that you could tell us? In many books, the successful ones anyway, the worlds where the story is told is as much a character as the antagonist and the protagonist. So what can we expect from this uh, starbarian saga? Well, there is a whole galaxy of uh, alien life out there in in this in this series and um those uh different life forms are represented in some way in the crew of the uh Halcyon, the main ship right that torque and angar go to to serve on and to to fight back against the call uh, but i don't really take the reader to those um life forms worlds in those first two books though i will in the next book <laughs> so <laughs> there will be a visit to uh, the home world of uh, at least one of those uh, species in the third book. And it's going to play a pivotal role in the series. Everything's going to change uh, from that point on. So, so far I haven't really dipped into that a lot, but let's just say that there's a, there's an alliance of all these different species and they're all very different as you would expect. They're not all just humanoids with different nose appliances as you see in different science fiction shows, which I will, which will remain nameless. Um, or you know, science fiction films. They're all very different, very unique to their um, own environments. And uh, so anyway, um, I'm, I'm going to go into more detail on them in future books. Okay, so Horde's Challenge is clearly part of the series. I know because it says so on the Kickstarter, which if you guys go check, you would know too. Uh, there are currently two books out that you've mentioned. Um, you've mentioned there are six that you like to do, but uh, what can we expect from these characters? How do you see the story ending? Is six it lock, stock, and barrel at six books, or could it potentially grow? I don't know. I have a definite storyline, 
right? A definite through line from book one to book six. Um, there are certain things that I want to have happen um, by the by the time each book in the series is is done, um, and each one is going to be more and more exciting, and it's going to build even more. If you can imagine that, when you read book one, it's like nonstop action, especially the first third of it, and the and the third um, the third part of that book. And you might say, "Wow, how can you top that?" And and my plan is to continue to top it in each book, and and then to have this all leading up to a major confrontation in book six that may resolve at least that will resolve at least part of the story but not all of it I, i'd like to leave some some openings there to continue the series if i if i decide to because the more i write this series the more i love it the more i love these characters they're complicated and rich and i want more <laughs> and i i think your readers uh, your listeners will feel the same when they've read them so we all we know that every literary universe, at least the good ones, have their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic, or magic, I guess, depending on the genres. Sure. So what sort of tech and magic can we expect from these books? Wow. Um, well, I would say uh, that you can expect really uh, Star Trek level, like sort of Star Trek, the next generation level technology, except without transporters. You know, we, we don't have um, matter transport going on here. So um, the characters are limited, limited to uh, being ship bound and having ships transport them to the surfaces of planets and things like that. But then there are also some sort of portals that open up. Um, so you have a little bit of a, sort of a Stargate kind of thing there. And then also um, there are uh, biological enhancements uh, that are made to some of the characters. I'm not going to mention them in particular, but it does change them and gives them certain abilities. So um, they're not really cyborgs, so to speak, but they have these enhanced abilities. And, and that would be, you know, um, I guess in the realm of uh, Star Trek level technology. So it's not, it's definitely not, um, you know, uh, sci science fiction, it's definitely not science fantasy kind of stuff. Um, it's all sort of believable in that it's that it stems from current theories, current science theories and, and things that are, could be possible in the future if we continue to extrapolate um, the possibilities based on where we're headed. Okay. So of all the tech that you created for, or, or magic, if that mm -hmm. applies, that you invented for your universe, what would you want for your daily use? Oh, wow. Well, I'd like those biological enhancements, please. <laughs> I'd like okay. to have the abilities that they get, some of these characters have, to uh, create great feats of strength and uh, to survive exposure to the void, to the vacuum of space, and uh, uh, to, to leap tall buildings, <laughs> to leap tall space stations in a single bound, that sort of thing. Okay, well then uh, how would you abuse that tech? Because I'm telling you, <laughs> if I had a lightsaber, I'd be cutting all kinds of inappropriate things in half just because. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I would go, I'd go crazy with it. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, uh, I'm sure, just go on a, a spree just to, to max it out and just to feel, feel my heart racing as I leap across a landscape and smash up mountaintops and, and, and just achieve things that I never thought I could do and just really savor that. And then, yeah, maybe look into space travel on a more regular basis. Uh, hoping, of course, that people didn't decide that they were just sick of me and my stupid enhancements and just like, 
you know, um, space me <laughs> out an airlock since well, I could survive, but I wouldn't necessarily have transportation home. Well, you could survive being space, but eventually you'd, you'd starve. Yeah. Well, so that's yeah. Not pleasant. <laughs> that wouldn't be fun. So, so yeah. You established that you have uh, aliens in your book. You've, you've mentioned yeah. that pretty clearly. So how yeah. do you go about creating these creatures? Do you let your nightmares inspire you? Do you look to nature? Do you make things up completely out of whole cloth? All of the above. Um, I, I Like yourself, uh, I have a wild imagination. And it takes me in unexpected directions all the time. Um, and, and sometimes those will stem from the natural world and uh, the patterns that arise from the natural world or patterns of um, human technology. Uh, just any kind of influences, maybe um, things that I've seen in passing or seen on vacation or seen online or thought of just in a, in a dream. One thing I do um, which I think I would urge your listeners who are creative types as well to do this if they have not already been doing it. And that is keep a pad and a pen by your bed uh, when you sleep at night. And then when you wake up in the middle of the night, you have an incredibly crazy dream or vision. Make sure you jot some kind of notes down right away as soon as you can while it's still fresh. That makes uh, for great fuel as well when creating alien species or anything um, bizarre or cool. Okay. Yeah. So uh, clearly this interview is winding down, but before we wrap this up, was there anything mm -hmm. about Horde's Challenge in the Starbarian Saga that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? I think you have covered the ground really well. Um, there's there's a lot to be told, lots to be talked about with book two, and I urge your listeners to check out the, the campaign on Kickstarter, and you can see a little bit more of the bones of that story, which are really cool. And we, we start off book one, the two, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but book one, the two characters are united and discovering their new universe and their new, their new, the, the power at their disposals. And book, in book two, we separate them and challenge them in really different ways. And it's mixed for a great story. And then we'll see what happens from there. Okay. So we've talked about in the beginning when we were getting to know you a little bit better, that yeah. you've written in a lot of existing franchises and IPs. So of yeah. all of them, let's say that Starbarians is such a hit that everybody wants Rob, the writer, to work for them. And you like could that. have your pick of any mm -hmm. franchise that you've ever loved to write in that you haven't already. What would it be? Oh, man. Uh, that's any franchise that's currently licensing fiction, I would assume, or just any franchise that's super cool. Any franchise that's super cool. We're just playing a, a guessing game, a wishing game, I guess. Wow. Uh, you know, I would, I have a great deep love for Frank Herbert's Dune series. Yeah. And I know Kevin J. Anderson has that market pretty much cornered. <laughs> He's doing all that. Uh, but, but that's, that's a universe I'd love to write in. Are or you... Asimov. Oh my God. I'd love to write in the foundation series. Oh yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, they're doing the, <laughs> the, the video series, right? Yeah. But his, his writing style is, is dated enough. <laughs> I little, well, I mean, it's it's a little drier than modern readers yeah. like. Um, I think <laughs> the, you know, I think audiobooks because now the story's being read to them has changed how you tell a good story. So, for instance, and this is a little bit of a craft thing, but the word "said," if you say, it used to be conventional wisdom, is if you wrote that after speech, the reader glosses over it over a while after a while, and you're literally just telling them who's speaking. 
But when someone's reading it to you and they say it 157 times, it starts to get <laughs> really, really obvious. And so like you start looking for other ways and yeah. it's, it's evolved the writing style, which it's not bad or good. It just, it is. But so you would have to do a lot to modernize the style, I think. And then you'd get the purist that would be upset because how dare you? <laughs> I don't know, that might be that might be as dangerous as Warhammer ah! for, for fans. Ah! It would be a dream come true, though. I would love it just to write in those some of those characters, fill in some of the gaps. Yeah, in that vast history that he created, tell it in a modern way. You know what the heck? So uh, that would I, be so much fun. I grew up reading the um, the Rogue Squadron Star Wars books, and oh yeah, I, I used to say I would love to write in Star Wars. I mm -hmm. think they've gotten so political, and like I try to stay apolitical on things. Like nobody's ever convinced by getting yelled at on the internet. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, we all have our opinions and it's, you know, if you look closely, we can tell what everyone's is. But as a general yep. rule, yeah, I don't try to beat people in the face with it. Yep. Um, and so yeah. I think the franchise lost its way. Mm. And so I don't know that I want to anymore. Uh, I liked Galaxy's Edge, but I've already gotten to write in that one. Yeah. So I don't know. Star Trek is a lot of fun. I think the later version, they got a little too um, utopian. Like, I, I think they, in some of the, series like it was too idealistic understanding of human nature i think i prefer a little grittier yeah so it might be a hard one i don't know i stargate that would be fun yeah it would and it someone would. should give us a dang ending for what happened to stargate universe <laughs> i know right so they're what like oh you check, check out the graphic novel we wrap it up there and then i read the graphic <laughs> novel and yeah no it's a cliffhanger there too the jerks you know do, do you think that's going to come back to life now that amazon bought um mgm They've been trying to get Stargate to revitalize itself uh, mm -hmm. several times. The problem is the people that own the IP don't don't want to let anything happen to it. Some of the actors for like Stargate Atlantis tried yeah. to continue the show. They crowdfunded. They had people committing to back, but they oh. just they wouldn't release the IP. Oh. Um, I think enough time has passed that all of the primary characters are older, and so yeah. like that's the one thing about a military organization you can't age out of, of the positions. Mm -hmm. So eventually, you're too old to be on a ground team. So I think. Like, for instance, in Stargate Universe, they had um, the guy that was Colonel O'Neill. Yeah. Um, Richard Dean Anderson, I think. Was that his name? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, so he was a general and had cameos because that fit with his age. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not a dig. I mean, that's just, you know, combat's a young man's game. Yeah. And so, like, I think you'd almost have to pick up the story X number of time into the future. Mm -hmm. So you could, you could have the same characters come back. And just, you know, fill in the gaps. But, yeah, I'd like to see more from Stargate. And if not me, somebody, please, I'm begging you. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that. we're writers. We make stuff up. I mean, and you know, the, the, the imagination is boundless and the universe is endless. There's, you can always come up with something cool and a cool new way to bring things back around and, and do something fresh with something that you love. Yeah. So that would be for me, I guess it'd be Stargate or or if I could go back to like the 90s Star Wars. Yeah, it'd definitely be Star Wars because I love me some Rogue Squadron. Ah, yep. And I remember the first time I broke my arm wrestling ah. and uh, I was a kid and I'm sitting in the waiting room at the hospital reading a Star Wars. And they're like, oh, we just got in the back to tank and it healed us in an hour. I'm like, <laughs> I want this in my life. <laughs> You know, so, I wish, I wish, speaking of properties, I wish they'd bring back. I know that's not the subject of this show, but Firefly, I mean, come on. And I know it was perfect. Like, why, why tamper with perfection? But I'd love to see that come back. And Farscape. I would love to see Farscape bring, brought back too. Yeah. The um, Andromeda as well was really, really good. The guy that did, yeah. um, um, uh, was it, um, 
Oh, Xena Warrior Princess spawned off of it. Hercules, yeah. that series that was on the TV Sorbo. in the 90s. Kevin that, Sorbo. That, yeah, Kevin Sorbo did the uh, Andromeda. That was amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I just could only imagine what they could do with the modern, like, digital um, technology. You merge that with actual good character acting, and oh, my goodness, the amazing things could happen. <laughs> yep, yep. So, all right. Well, we've wandered far afield. Uh, I love it. <laughs> we try to keep this right at an hour because, you know, people okay. have short attention spans. So before we, uh, as we bring this to a close, uh, Robert, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And as usual, dear yeah. listener, it'll be in the show notes. So scroll down. Yeah. Uh, thanks, JR. Um, your listeners can just search me out online. Google me. I'm all over the place. And you can also look at my website, which uh, is at bobscribe.com, bobscribe.com. And you can look me up on Wikipedia and you can look up the Kickstarter uh, by searching for Starbarian Saga, Starbarian Saga on the kickstarter.com site. All right. And you can find us, dear listener, on our website at anger.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. We're on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. That's again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. So far, we've only received one letter and it was to complain about my dog barking and tell me how unprofessional that was. But uh, for the rest of you, if you want to send letters, it's there, we promise. Uh, and we even respond. Um, the Blasters and Blades Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and as much as $10 uh, over at anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech and Tech Blades or for a one-time fee over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it provides uh, for you that it's for the podcast. I will make sure I keep my intrepid co-host Doc Seska and uh, Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's how you could support the show. Uh, or share it with a friend. That always helps. Link, follow, subscribe, do all the things. Um, so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and JR, nope, for Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I'm JR Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. <laughs>